Hi, and welcome to Pillsbury's Industry Insights Podcast, where we discuss current legal and practical issues in finance and related sectors. I'm Joel Simon, a finance partner at the international law firm Pillsbury Winthrop Shaw Pittman. Our guest today is Riaz Karamali, a corporate partner in Pillsbury's Silicon Valley office. Riaz is a valued strategic advisor, as well as a deal maker who assists clients with negotiating and closing domestic and international venture finance, private equity, M&A, and technology transactions. He has worked with hundreds of startups and emerging companies, guiding them from their pre-funding stages through their seed and venture capital financing rounds, significant commercial contracts, and strategic alliances to their ultimate exit transactions. Riaz also regularly represents investors in these types of companies. Welcome to our podcast, Riaz. It's great to be here today, Joel. Riaz, you've represented companies across a wide range of industries, including in the blockchain, crypto, video games, SaaS, fintech, food tech, biotech, semiconductor, energy, and medical device sectors. But today we're going to focus on non-fungible tokens. Why are you so focused on NFTs right now? And is there a particular sector of companies that has caught your attention with NFTs? Well, Joel, I'm, I'm enormously privileged to have been living and working in Silicon Valley for the last 25 years. And we get to see world-changing technologies here before the rest of the world does. And I've been able to work with and befriend some amazing entrepreneurs. So, so it's really been a blast. And it's kind of become my hobby to try to anticipate the future, try to, you know, figure out, you know, where technology is going. And, and so blockchain got on my radar, um, probably almost 10 years ago. And I, I started to try to figure out how I could get involved in, and, uh, you know, both professionally and, and personally. Um, and so I've been representing investors and, uh, and companies in the blockchain space. I've been an angel investor in that space. And, and, and so it, the NFTs is, is sort of the latest, um, twist that we've seen. And as part of that, uh, or, or actually completely separately from the blockchain um, angle of my practice, I've been working with video game companies for the last dozen years or so and helping them in their um, financings and and uh, deals and M&A exits. And now this year, for the first time, these two worlds have really crashed together and uh, in the form of NFTs. And that's what's been so exciting. And the last uh, six months or so, I've been doing a lot of work for video game companies and helping them with uh, NFTs. That's great, Riaz. Thanks for that background. Um, I know that NFTs have been around for several years. I think it's 2017, 2018 when they first uh, came into being. But since bursting into the public consciousness more generally and in a very big way in early 2021, the phenomenon has shown no signs of abating. NFT sales grew to over $10 billion in the third quarter alone. How has the popularity of NFTs affected the video game industry? Yeah, Joel, I, it's it's been transformational. Uh, so, I mean, one of the first NFT games was actually been around for a few years, Crypto Kitties in 
2017, where people could um, breed their own, you know, unique uh, kitties and trade them. Um, and that is one concept that has taken off in different ways. And the, the latest uh, game that's um, really doing well out there is called Axie Infinity, where um, it's it's a where people kind of breed these uh, animals, and and they're not kitties, but they're 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 basically monsters, and they they um, um, battle each other, and it's called a pay to play to earn concept. So people are there. There are kind of me too games around that, and there there are folks who basically left their jobs and are um, making you know making their money from from playing Axie Infinity. Um, but um, pretty much any video game, the fantasy, sports, strategy, role playing, um, can incorporate NFTs and. The, the neat thing about NFTs is that they can have an existence outside of the game. So even if the game um, is, is discontinued, the NFT could still have some value or could be used in another game. And the other thing that people are doing is they're pre-selling NFTs, um, which would become a component of the game, but before the game is even launched. So they're using these NFT pre-sales to, to fund the, the development of the game. Um, and, and because of the smart contract that underlies um, each NFT, when the NFTs are sold on the secondary market, um, then the, the game company keeps a percentage of each sale. So um, it really uh, gives a, you know, a revenue stream to the game company where they otherwise, in the pre-NFT days, they wouldn't have had that. So um, all of these uh, aspects are, have just created a lot of interest in the video game sector from um, investors. And traditionally, it's been relatively difficult for video game companies to attract VC investment or um, even you know professional super angel investment. But with the potential that NFTs are showing, um, all that's changed. And I'm getting clients that are getting funded at significantly higher valuations than they thought they would have, uh, and companies that are getting funded much earlier than they normally would have um, been funded. Um, so just in terms of the my traditional practice of, of venture finance, um, it, that that is is also booming in this in, in this area, um, and and the funny thing is, I'm virtually every video game company pitch I'm seeing now is is mentioning NFTs and mentioning the metaverse and Web 3.0. So um, you know, it, it, this this is the trend. So you raised that word metaverse, uh, Riaz, and by now most of us have, have heard it uh, in a slightly different context. But can you spend a little time explaining what exactly the metaverse is, uh, as well as elaborating on Web 3.0 and how it differs from its predecessor. Sure. So the, the metaverse, the way I think about it is it's the anticipated universe of virtual worlds that are all interconnected. And it's, um, it was first popularized in some novels such as Snow Crash and Ready Player One. Um, now, the, the NFT angle is that the NFTs make it easy to have persistent characters and objects that can go from world to world. So um, if you have an avatar, for example, that's a game character, and, and if it's an NFT, then you could you could take that avatar into different games, into different virtual worlds, and it would have that it would carry its attributes of whatever the strength or stamina or objects that it m might have, like weapons, um, with it. And and um, right now, 
the metaverses that exist are basically within a certain company's world. Like, for example, um, uh, 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 Roblox is, is, is one. Um, but, but, um, you know, companies have, have different mini metaverses, but there's, there's not, um, really, uh, that much interoperability across them, but that's sort of the promise that, that people are hoping for. In terms of Web 3.0, so it might be useful to talk about what Web 1.0 and what Web 2.0 were. Um, so Web 1.0 was just sort of the original kind of flat website on the Internet. And Web 2.0 would be um, what the Internet as it exists now with a lot of user participation. We have all these different social media sites that there's there's a lot of interactivity and participation, but they're mediated through platforms that are usually owned by, you know, these large tech companies and they're they're free to use um but the, obviously the company profits greatly there might be some monetization possibilities and there are monetization possibilities for individuals but but you know it's limited compared to the profits that the company is getting on advertising and other uh, other ways that they're mining the data web 3.0 is the decentralized future where it would be um decentralized data would live across the different nodes on the blockchain um it would be very difficult to shut down or censor. It would be encrypted. Um, it would be easily monetized by the um, creators um, with open standards. And so if people talk about the creator economy. So it's really a way for the creators to be more connected to, to their fans and the users and, and also for the users to be creators. Um, so it's, it's a... Um, very, it's almost a utopian thing, the way some people talk about it. But uh, we'll, we'll see how it develops. Well, it sounds like in this future paradigm, video game companies will probably need to pivot into NFT entertainment companies. How easy or not will that be for them? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, in some ways it's easier for, for new, well-capitalized companies than for some of the entrenched legacy players. Um, one of the things a company has to decide when it's, when it's um, going to go down this path is um, to choose a, what's called a layer one protocol to build on. So, um, Ethereum, for example, is a layer one protocol. It's, it's, it's the oldest and largest and, you know, um, people can build smart contracts on Ethereum, which would basically be the NFTs. Um, but Ethereum has its concerns, mostly speed and um, expense. There's something called gas fees for every transaction that that gets gets taken out. So other competitors to Ethereum are Solana and Flow are the big competitors, and there are quite a few others. So so that's sort of the first decision is is what um, protocol to build on, and then when the company kind of builds its own NFT world out, that's considered a layer two protocol. Um, and, and so, so we're seeing a lot of activity in the space, a lot of different, you know, layer two protocols being, being built. Um, and, and, uh, it's, it's going to be interesting. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of commercial possibilities and a lot of excitement around the technology and the customer experience. I also imagine, uh, as a lawyer that you see a plethora of legal issues and challenges as well. 
Yeah, that's for sure. Um, that's been one of the, the really fascinating things about being in the space. Um, and it's, it's beyond, you know, what I as a, as an individual can handle. And that's one of the great things with, with all the resources that we have at Pillsbury. So for, for example, um, their securities issues, um, right off the bat, their securities and commodities issues, the way some of the things are being marketed and sold. And you have to counsel your, your clients, uh, about that. But there are a lot of question marks. Um, you know, because the regulators haven't really spoken um, very well in that space. Um, then there are IP issues in terms of, um, you know, the, the, it's, it's very easy to grab something um, from the internet and turn it into an NFT, but do you really have the right to, to do that? And um, we've got some great, you know, copyright lawyers uh, who, who uh, I go to, to, to make sure that my clients are, are doing the right thing there. Um, and then there are, you know, KYC, which stands for Know Your Customer, uh, and uh, AML, anti-money laundering issues. One of the issues, issues in the space is because um, people buy NFTs with cryptocurrency, um, you can't be sure. It's not coming from a banking system necessarily. You can't be sure where that cryptocurrency originated. And um, if it's coming from a country that we shouldn't be doing business with uh, under U.S. law, or if it's coming, you know, from the pro proceeds of ill-gotten gains, and there's, there's, there, you know, anecdotally, folks think that there's a lot of money laundering going on in the space. So as a, a you know, we're, since we represent clients that always want to do the right thing, um, we, we need to uh, figure out how to advise them and, and about the risks in, in, in the space from that perspective. Um, some NFT projects have gambling elements, and so we have to look at that perspective. And some and and some projects have sort of money transmission and banking elements. So all of those uh, different areas of the law are implicated. Well, it sounds like you have your hands full in a lot of ways here, Riaz. Uh, this has been a fascinating and enlightening discussion, and thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks so much, Joel. It's, it's been great to be here with you today. And now it's time for This Week in History. The obvious choice would be to regale you with tales of Thanksgiving, turkey, and stuffing. But why do something obvious? Instead, let's go back to November 22, 1995. On that day, a movie was released that would forever change the film industry. This movie was the highest-grossing film of 1995, with a box office of $373 million and three sequels that grossed a total of $2.5 billion more. The studio, which at the time was owned by Apple, was Pixar Films, who teamed up with Disney to produce what would become one of the biggest entertainment franchises ever. The film was Toy Story, and here's how it changed everything. For starters, Toy Story was the first ever entirely computer-animated feature film, and it altered the way animated films are made. This technological advance eliminated the need for animators to redraw each cell by allowing for the digital storing of characters, sets, and scenes, which could then be easily edited. Next. Toy Story showed that animated films could be highly lucrative, setting the stage for later blockbuster animated films, including Frozen and Minions. It also was a game-changer for animated films receiving Oscar nominations. In fact, Toy Story was the first animated film to be nominated for Best Original Screenplay. And in 2001, the Oscars added a category for Best Animated Feature. 
With Tom Hanks and Tim Allen as Woody and Buzz Lightyear, Toy Story also made it cool for premier movie stars to voice animated characters. And Toy Story clearly showed the world that a great animated film didn't have to be a musical. If somehow you haven't watched them yet, or if it's been a while, consider a movie marathon to brighten your holidays and binge watch all four Toy Story movies. You'll be glad you did. And you can catch all of our episodes on your favorite streaming services, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible, or on our website, PillsburyLaw.com. Until next time, thank you for listening to Pillsbury's Industry Insights Podcast.